When's the last time you had good barbecue? Now scratch that. When's the last time you had great barbecue? Here's an even better question. When was the first time you had it? Was it a frozen hamburger and hot dog soaked in lighter fluid from your dad wearing a man of the house apron? My dad wasn't a barbecue guy. Don't get me wrong, my dad's an awesome cook. He's fantastic, he loves to experiment, but grilling really wasn't his thing. So I can't remember the exact moment that I transcended those dried out ribs at TGI Fridays. But when I had my first bite into that smoky, juicy, fall off the bone goodness, I was addicted. And to much concern of my doctors, I've been hooked on that meat crack ever since. Now, you've heard me say before on this show that my favorite barbecue in the country is from New York City. Gasp! Yes, I said it. New York City. And today, it's my hope to give you a better understanding as to why. Now, I'm very excited to have today's guests on, Mr. Sean Ludwig, who is one of the premier places he writes about barbecue. That's what he does. And if you want to know about New York City barbecue, hell, if you want to know about what's going on in the country with barbecue, Sean is the man. And I found Sean, I think I found him on Instagram at first, um, and I have been digging my way through all his articles and through his love of barbecue. And I'm excited to get him on the show because in the midst of our pandemic, yes, we're still at home. Yes, we're still locked down. Yes, still can't have people over to share barbecue with. And that actually changes the level of barbecue that I can do, right? Because I want to do racks of beef ribs. But who's going to fucking eat it? <laughs> Me. I'm going to get fat. I'm going to die. I'm going to die on this shit. So please, let's get, wear your masks, get the vaccines. Let's get to the point where I can start having you guys over and we can start making bigger and better barbecue. Um, and I want to go have barbecue. I want to go eat barbecue. And luckily, there's a lot of places in the country. There's a lot of places here in Los Angeles that have transformed their business models. And so you can order barbecue and pick it up, which is great. And we talk a bit about that. Sean and I talk about how that's changing the way you get barbecue and how these places are serving barbecue. Uh, we, he's telling me about how Franklin's, if you haven't heard about Franklin's barbecue, do the research. But uh, he's telling them that Franklin's now has like an, like an order ahead of time list and a pickup. That changes everything. That's super cool. Like I might have a chance of getting it, <laughs> which is awesome. But I am excited. As always, I try to do episodes with people that interest me. I try to do episodes on the stuff that I love. And we talk a lot about film on this show. We talk a lot about art. But today, we're talking once again about my favorite hobby, the thing that makes me happy when I'm not making movies. And that's cooking, and that's barbecue, and that's smoking meats. Uh, so strap yourselves in, and hopefully, you will learn a little bit more about the barbecue culture uh, if you're someone that's just trying to get into it, maybe you're scrolling through Instagram and you're like, wow, this food looks really good. I just don't understand. Uh, like, what does it taste like? Where do I get it? We talk a little bit about that. And we talk a little bit about the evolution of barbecue. And one of the reasons why I love New York City barbecue so much, it's got a lot to do with the fact that that city is a melting pot. It's got a lot to do with the fact 
that there are so many different families, so many different origins of food in that city sort of combining into one space. When's the last time that you sat down and you ate something traditional and you went, wow, imagine if this had this flavoring with it. What would that taste like? That'd be fucking fascinating. Uh, and barbecue like runs a huge gamut here. There's a huge scope for barbecue and it isn't just Southern barbecue. It isn't just smoking. We're talking Korean barbecue. We're talking any way that you take flame, wood burning flame, and mix it with food, right? And so I'm gonna be doing a bunch of these. I'm gonna dig deep into what I love about barbecue. I'm gonna dig deep into what I love about yakitori. Maybe we should do like a yakitori episode. That'd be fucking fascinating. Um, But get ready, because this show is about falling in love with the process, and I am in love with the process of barbecue. I'm in love with the process of smoking meats. And today, we're just going to celebrate that. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in, as always. And those of you who have been following me on Instagram, those of you who have won the contest that we're doing on Instagram, I hope you guys are bragging about your amazing little t-shirts that you're running around and wearing. I've been getting your photos. I think it's so great that when I'm going through Instagram, I'll stumble across the feed and be like, wait a minute, that's our fucking shirt. That's awesome. I love it. I love that there's this little cult of ILWP listeners out there that are excited to be part of the show and we would be nothing without you. So thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for your suggestions uh, for episodes. And uh, we try to make it up to you guys and I try to put out some good content. And today's show is that, and I just finished recording it. I'm amazed I got through it. It has been uh, one of those mornings. So prepare yourself for the fucking return, the cameo appearance of the goddamn landscaper. (laughs) And if you've been listening, you know that this is the bane of my existence. Having to do a podcast here at the house, which is fine, and my roommates are so wonderful because I take over the space for a good couple of hours, especially this week where I'm I'm nailing out, how many podcasts are we doing this week? Five? Um, But, you know, we're not in a soundstage. I'm sitting here at my desk. I'm able to look outside and see all of our returning. I feel like it's like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You know what I mean? Where I'm hanging out, I'm putting on my sweater, taking off my shoes, and hey, there's a doorbell ring. Hey, it's the fucking FedEx person that needs a signature. Or it's my sweet, sweet landlord that likes to wear a gas-powered blower and just stand in our front lawn and just sort of blow. That's what he does. He just blows. I don't know what he's blowing. There isn't a lot of shit out there to do it. And I, you'll hear it. We start the episode in a beautiful, quiet Monday morning. And as soon as I push record, he pulls that ripcord. <laughs> so it's a good one. Uh, and uh, thankfully, uh, Sean was incredibly uh, patient with us on the episode. And I hope you guys dig it. And if you don't, too bad. <laughs> Uh, Without further ado, let's not delay it. Um, Get ready to start drooling. And I highly suggest while we are talking on this episode, you just do a search on Instagram. Look up some of Sean's stuff. I'm going to have all his links below. All the references for everything he talks about, smoke list, all the places are going to be below this episode. Start scrolling through. Get lost over this course of this hour looking at pitmasters look at your local pitmasters scroll through all that food pornography 
I want you to be drooling by the end of this episode. Uh, so sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for the brand new In Love With The Process. Sean, thanks for being on, my man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks. Uh, I'm excited to have you on the show because the listeners uh, that have been following me for years now know how obsessed I am with uh, barbecue and meats uh, to the detriment of my health. <laughs> I love this you stuff. Can eat, you can eat healthy barbecue. It's possible. <laughs> I know that there's the tendency to overindulge, but it can be somewhat healthy if you do it right. Yeah, well, you know, you. I think the first step in eating healthy barbecue is not being addicted to it. I think that's the first step. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> um, I'm excited to have you on because it's my belief, and you know, I'm sure you know this better than I do. The barbecue world can be incredibly pompous. It can be incredibly full of tradition, but it's my belief that my favorite barbecue that I've had in the country comes from New York City. Uh, really? It. Okay. Well, you got to share, man. I, I, I got to know. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. But uh, the reason why I got you on the show is that uh, you are the source for New York City barbecue that I found. Like, uh, like going through your posts and going through your uh, suggestions and stuff, I, it's been a lot of fun for me. And so I wanted to introduce the audience into the stuff that you do. Um, and not only are you writing for barbecue about food and stuff, but you've been a freelance writer on tech stuff and business stuff for a while now. Like, how'd you get started in that business? Um, so I actually went to, you know, just kind of taking it back a little bit. I, I went to journalism school, um, when I you know, went to college and I went to the university of Missouri, which is a really good journalism school. So I kind of got that foundation. I, you know, mostly was focused on magazine writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I also did some film like reviews and, and kind of focused on that for a bit. And then that just kind of panned out very quickly to be like, okay, I can't do this because, um, there just wasn't like, I don't know. Just, I feel like there wasn't like a big enough market for film reviews at that time. And and it yeah. just, I mean, obviously the, the market has changed. There's everybody on the internet has an opinion about movies now, but, um, <laughs> I, I thought I was going to be like a film writer, screenwriter type thing back in the day. I studied journalism. Um, and then I moved to New York city and I, it, it was so a wake up call for me. Mm. I moved here with very little cash to my name. Um, a lot of student loans and I, uh, the first job I ever got, first real job I ever got in New York City was being a, um, an editor at PC Magazine, oh. so which is a classic um, tech publication that's been around for a long time. And, you know, basically when I started that, I kind of realized, oh, yeah, well, I'm kind of a tech head. I was an IT guy in college, you mm -hmm. know, like I basically spent, I think, two years working to fix people's computers. So like I was like, oh, yeah, actually, I, I do actually know tech. So um, so I kind of focused on that when I got started. Um, and that thread has kind of kept like coming back to me um, through my time in New York City. Um, I've been a tech writer, um, written about a lot, a lot about businesses and startups and entrepreneurs. Uh, the media industry. Um, and then uh, yeah, I've worked at publications. I've been a freelancer. I've kind of gone back and forth. And, um, you know, I've even ha had my hand in marketing and communications as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of a jack of all trades type of situation. And then that doesn't even include all my the food writing and food photography. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it, like I love that transition too. Uh, but as far as being a, a journalist, it's got to be so difficult these days. Um, and it's, it's, it's like a huge hustle these days because it's so hard to really find like make good cash at it right because the the world doesn't exist like people don't pay for the news they read anymore you know what i mean like it's a difficult place with blogs and the internet and like everybody like you said everybody being a food a film critic or even a food critic these days uh do, do you find it being difficult or am i just completely jaded about it <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think you're wrong. It is it is hard to make a good living as a journalist, generally speaking. And um, you know, there are only so many people that can work at the top, you know, publications. You know, there's yeah. only a handful of people that are able to work, you know, for the New York Times and the and the Wall Street Journal. And you know, you kind of think about this that you know, even even um, a few was it like a few weeks ago, like members of the New Yorker went on strike. Because they were like, we're going on strike because we're not paid enough. We've got a kind of a union thing going. We're going to just do a work stoppage. And so when people at the New Yorker are saying, you're not paying us well yeah. enough, then you know that there might be an issue with, with anyone who's not at the New Yorker, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of people in there. You know, I think, you know, historically, uh, media jobs have been, you know, kind of underpaid. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hustle. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, which is one of the reasons probably why I'm not working full time at a publication is because it was really difficult to feel like you're able to make a living. Yeah. And there's a, there's a level, I mean, we're sort of off on a side tangent, but I dig it. There's this level of, of wanting good journalism again and sort of craving that great journalism stuff. And then you have to examine it and go, oh yeah, but the journalists really aren't being supported uh, to be able to do this full time. A lot of folks aren't able to do it full time. And then um, just, just this crazy fucking world of like anybody can open a fucking blog and put shit out there on the internet. And then if it's posted somewhere, then average Joe just thinks like, well, this is official. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, then it's no surprise that this is why newsletters have taken over, you know, the last few years we've seen the rise of newsletters and things like Substack yeah. because journalists, a lot of journalists have left their publications and gone full time on and done their own thing. So they're just like, I'm going to be 100% subscriber supported and I'm going to able to make a living and none of my money is going to the company. It's just going to me. Yeah. And I, lo I love that. I love the idea that like there's a lot of people who have staked out on their own now and said, you know what? I will take care of my benefits. I'll take care of my other stuff. I'll take care of everything. I just need that good base income. And, you know, having uh, Patreon, having Substack, things like that, you know, this is this is a good thing for the media industry. That's Dude, you'll have to send me some of the stuff that you like to to read because I don't know much about that. That's really cool that that, that exists, actually. Um, very awesome. Well, anyway... You know, fuck that. Let's get back into barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, we're just like, oh, let's talk about the media industry. Like, Wait, I thought I came here for barbecue, man. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back into barbecue. So, yes. uh, so you, you weren't born in New York, right? So you, you moved there. So what are your origins with barbecue? Like, where does, where does your obsession come from? I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, uh -huh. which is one of the quintessential barbecue towns. And I like to say that, like, just because you were born in Kansas City doesn't make you a barbecue expert, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Right. <laughs> the idea that you grew up around a lot of great barbecue and good barbecue options like down the street from you, um, I think, does kind of instill that in you. So I'm, I grew up there. 
Mm-hmm. I moved to New York right after college, so right after that journalism school experience. I moved, I moved to New York, just thinking, "Oh, I'm going to make it in the big media industry." Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, it's a little, a little weird out here. But anyway, I, I started missing barbecue. Yeah. I actually was like, "Oh, wait, I." I have to really seek it out because there's only a handful of places here that actually make good barbecue. So um, the first ever barbecue joint I had in New York City uh, on somebody's recommendation um, was Hill Country Barbecue, which still is still exists um, on 26th Street in Manhattan mm-hmm. um, and still, I think, one of the one of the better options in the city uh, that if you're looking for barbecue, like that's a great Texas style barbecue. And basically from there. I started seeking it out. I started going, oh, wait, who's got the best? No matter where, how far out I have to go, mm-hmm. who's got the best barbecue? So um, then you know, cut back to, let's see, about four years ago. I was like, you know what? How, what why don't I take some of this expertise and the, my kind of love and passion here, and I'm going to start Instagram. And then I started you know, doing Facebook and um, a newsletter mm-hmm. and started focusing on, hey, how can I expand this to share some of my thoughts and uh, the the cool stuff that I'm seeing all the time with people. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of my experience and it's been a, a real fun time to share that with people. Well, let me ask you this because there's a lot of, it always blows my mind when I talk to people about barbecue because there's a still a huge populace of folks that are like, what do you mean? Like hamburgers and hot dogs on a grill? <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, oh, right. You haven't experienced real barbecue. Um, what do you, in your opinion, what do you think, is the difference like where does the line cross for you from like just being a, a griller, like a guy that grills stuff, to like an actual barbecue professional? Like what what are the traits about real good barbecue that stand out for you? Um, I would say probably the the thing that really sig- signals that you are kind of serious about barbecue is using wood. Mm-hmm. So using kind of real wood, making sure that real smoke is part of that process. Um, that really shows that you're serious. Mm. Um, you know, so nothing against like the backyard guy who just has a gas grill and just loves making burgers and dogs and gets, you know, maybe gets like really high quality meat and stuff like that. You know, nothing against that person. It's just that like, I think there's a transition there for when, when you start adding in wood, mm-hmm. you're, you are taking your game up a little bit. You're taking your game to another level. And that's where you start talking about the difference between like the griller, like the, you know, the, the average griller and the barbecue guy, the yeah. barbecue guy cares about using wood and actually looks for getting, you know, high quality wood and adding that into uh, the process. Yeah. Cause then at that point <clears throat> there's such a craft and there's, there's an art form to it. And I've been doing it now for a few years and the, the process of finding the right kind of wood, creating the right kind of smoke, making sure that the kind of smoke that you're doing is an acrid, making sure that it's a clean smoke, which is a strange thing to say, but making sure that it is a clean mm-hmm. smoke. And then uh, working really hard and fighting sort of this creature that, you, that you're essentially giving birth to in a chamber because fire is fire. You know what I mean? You're, you're still dealing with the elements. You're still dealing with uh, you know how this wood's burning and this wood burns a little bit different than it did before. And then suddenly today, the temperature in my chamber is a little bit different than it was last time. And how do I compensate for that? Like you're really, I think that's my love of it as far as someone that does it, is that you're really connected to your food. You're really connected to how it's being made and how it's being put together. And it's oftentimes, depending upon what it is that you're throwing on there, uh, it's a long fucking process. You know what I mean? So... I mean, if a lot of guys who are smoking briskets, I mean, that could take an eight, that could be an 18 hour process, oh, God, you know? Yeah. So, 
I mean, I understand. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't even try to touch something like a like doing a whole brisket because they're just like, I don't really feel like I have the time, the patience and whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but those who do, I mean, when you, you know, let's say you get good at that in your backyard and you start sharing that with your friends, you're going to become very popular, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people don't realize the, the true art of doing a brisket. It's taking a cut of meat that if you had just slapped that, if you slapped that on a barbecue, it's almost like inedible. Like the, the chewiness, the ridiculous uh, toughness of this meat and, and the process of smoking and slow cooking and low heating this thing is breaking down all that connective tissue, breaking down uh, all that fat and then making it into the most delectable decadent thing. And so like if you go to a barbecue place and you order brisket and it comes on a tray, I think a lot of folks don't really take into consideration what went into that, where it's like, oh, this is a nice tender piece of meat. That's cool. It's like, no, dude. <laughs> there was a whole painstaking process, if not at that time, uh, to figure it out from scratch or coming up with a system to do that. When you go to a larger barbecue place, it's like, how do I do the same thing for this one brisket for like a whole stack of briskets this morning? And how do I have that consistency of this meat through the whole service that we're doing? So um, it's... Brisket to me has always been the top of the line for for the craft. I, th I feel like because it is a commitment, and it like eighteen hours, like that's a that's a fucking commitment. <laughs> you know I mean? Absolutely, and I actually it's, it's interesting you say that. I like to sometimes judge a place by going and trying the brisket. You know, mm -hmm. like I will try everything, um, but let's say the brisket's whatever. But you know. I'm like, ah, that kind of sucks. But like, let's say they have something else on the menu that is incredible. And you're like, that's what they're known for, you know, yeah. and that's cool. You know, like um, I will admit that uh, growing up in Kansas City, um, you know, we have burn ins, which are mm -hmm. part of the brisket. They're cut off of the brisket and then prepared a, a certain way. Now they are, that's what Kansas City is, one of the things they're known for. Mm -hmm. um, but the, 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 the regular sliced brisket, unfortunately, at a lot of places is just okay, middle of the road. You actually, if you want to get that really intense um, sliced brisket um, experience, you got to go to a lot of those Texas joints. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, but, you know, the thing is in Kansas City, I don't want to, you know, rag on my hometown, but the burn ins <laughs> in Kansas City, you go to almost any place and get the burn ins. That's where that time has gone in. And they just, you know, every place has their own spin on it. And that's where, you know, the beef really shines in Kansas City. Well, and there's something really fascinating about how incredibly passionate <clears throat> people are especially pit masters and people that love barbecue, incredibly passionate about their hometown, incredibly passionate about their processes. And there's always those arguments. Is it like, is it Carolina style? Is it Kansas style? Is it Texas style? Like what is the best and who does it best? But, but you're right. It's all about what they're focused on. And it's all about the techniques that they're focused on. And I find that to be the most fascinating aspect of it, where it's like there's years and years and years of tradition that have gone into figuring out how to take this rough cut of meat and make it into something surprisingly decadent. Uh, it's, it's almost like, I think I've said this before, I feel like it's one of the few true American cuisines is, is oh, barbecue. Absolutely. You know? No, there, there, there probably isn't a more quintessential American cuisine because the thing is, you think about it, what else could it be? You know, yeah. I'm like thinking about, you know, all the different types of food that are popular in the United States, but a lot of them come from other countries and cultures. Yeah. But um, when it comes to, you know, true like American or, or quote unquote Southern barbecue, that has its origins, you know, for hundreds of years 
in the United States that has been made in some form. So, I mean, I would say, you know, there probably isn't a more quintessential American cuisine. It's fascinating, too. I've had I've had conversations with other chefs on the show about this, too. And there are origins of barbecue through slavery. There are origins of barbecue uh, through all sorts of like strife, which I think is fascinating because. Yes, absolutely. And we've got. You know, uh, there's a lot of barbecue history books, actually. So if you ever if I don't know if you've ever uh, digged into um, any of the books by Robert Moss or Jim Ackmoody or Daniel Vaughn. I mean, these guys have written you know great books about what you know where barbecue has come from and where it is today. Um, and you sort of look at the, the origins and you think about you know um, you know enslaved people. They're they're the ones who pioneered the, these techniques. You know, the thing about brisket, right? Is you're right that if it was just done. Um, you know, for a few hours, it probably would taste like garbage, but it through that painstaking process and spending the time on it, making it good, mm-hmm. you know, that comes from people who didn't have the luxury of like, you know, um, eh, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just throw it on the grill, whatever, you know, fine. <laughs> they actually spent a lot of time and, and hard work and process. And that's, you know, a lot of the, the best, uh, barbecue we have today is because people toiled over it 200 years ago. Yeah, totally. And, and the other thing I really enjoy about barbecue is what I like about food in general. Food food to me isn't just sustenance. I mean, it should be at its core, but it's not. It's food to me, especially if you're sharing food or you're having someone else's food, you're getting sort of access to their history. You're getting access to what it is that they love and their tastes and their family's tastes and where that they, the origins of how they created this meal. And I don't know how many times I've been served food from someone that is just loaded with anxiety and it doesn't matter how good that plate looks, the food tastes like shit because it's being served by someone that is incredibly stressed out. And what I love about barbecue is generally the people that do barbecue are in love with it and they're absolutely in love with their whole process and the whole steps and these poor sons of bitches are getting up at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 1 a.m. to get started on service that afternoon and they're committed to it like covered in smoke probably riddled with cancer at this point you just look at these sons of bitches and you go oh my god they love this and you can taste it in the food oh hold on this is one of the benefits of doing a podcast in my house is that uh today the landscapers are here so as you listen to today's episode it'll sound like we're outside (laughs) (laughs) nice let's let's keep going Tell them I said hi. <laughs> uh, but uh, but no, so uh, I was going to say about that is that I have you know been so lucky um, in uh, writing and photographing barbecue to have met so many incredible dedicated pit masters. Mm. And you're right. They spend inordinate amounts of time. Um, at the restaurant or, you know, um, in front of the, in front of the smokers, you know, making sure that things are, you know, coming out right. And if they don't spend that time, it shows they have to spend, they have to spend that amount of time. And if, if it's not them, they've got to train their staffs to be so diligent and so thoughtful about what they're doing because, you know, let's say, you know, you, you, you take your eye off a brisket for an hour the temperature, you know, uh, dropped or the fire went out, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, you just suddenly lost in a lot of, that's a lot of money you just lost because that brisket is not going to, it's not going to turn out well. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. And I think that they, you know, they have to spend this incredible amount of time to get it right. 
Well, and then then there's the added stress these days of like the lines, the lines that are outside of these places, the lines that line up outside of like Franklin's Barbecue. Like you just see these people that are out there camping out. It's like, it's like Black Friday every day in front of these barbecue places. So, and these people expect it to be delicious and they expect they want to go in there and have that one bite. And like I said, being someone that does barbecue, it's oftentimes so unpredictable where you're doing stuff and you're like, this, this, on the same grill, these two racks of ribs have completely different textures because of like the pig and because of the heat. So I, I can only imagine the stress that goes into doing that. You know what I mean? On like a, on a everyday production line for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there absolutely is that stress. I will say the one thing about the line though is the pandemic has changed barbecue lines. That mm. There are no lines at Franklin Barbecue right now because Franklin Barbecue says, we don't want people huddled up together close together and getting each other sick. So they, you can actually go to, to Franklin now and just pick get curbside pickup, Franklin now. Wow, which is incredible. Wow. So um, you think about the transformation, um, you know, kind of like the digital transformation that you know we've seen for a lot of businesses over the last year. Um, barbecue restaurants, a lot of them are no different. There's online ordering. There's curbside pickup. You can just people have like created in Texas have created like many drive-throughs so that way they can kind of process people faster. Hmm. Um, and so you know, in a way that yes, you're right. That stress is you know of serving a lot of people is going to still be there, but maybe you know going forward in the future some of these new processes that have, they've installed are going to help them alleviate some of that and go hey i'm gonna just have this like i'm a, I'm a saturday only service yeah and um, i'm gonna have everyone who wants food will pre-order it um before saturday and wow. that's it and so if you don't have your order in by saturday i know exactly i know exactly how much i have to make i know exactly when people are supposed to show up and I can just give them their food, which I mean, that think about how much stress that actually does take off of them to not be like, yeah. oh, my God, there's 200 people standing out here. And I got to I got to we got to cut this this meat fast. We got to serve them. We don't want people to leave. You know, we got to take care of people. Um, so in a way, I mean, I do think this kind of digital transformation may help, you hmm. know, ultimately relieve some of that stress. And it's good for the consumer, too. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I got a better chance of getting Franklin barbecue now. <laughs> uh, the next time you're in Austin, and if they're still doing curbside pickup, you absolutely should do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited about it, man. Because <laughs> last time I was in Texas, yes. I think it was right after Franklin had that fire. So they were closed. So I happened mm -hmm. to be down mm -hmm. there, and I was like, man, fuck. Uh, hold on a second. Sure. This place is insane this morning. It was dead quiet 15 minutes ago. What is going on? Unreal. Anyway, <laughs> this is the excitement of our podcast. What is going on out there? Is that guy just running the weed whacker in front of our front door? Literally, I should just have him on the show. And then you did a signature for Transpire. Unreal. Anyway, um, so <laughs> <laughs> I yes. love I love the pandemic. It does great things for podcasts. It's the coolest. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, the last time I was in Texas, they the Franklin had that fire, so I wasn't able to have it. But I guess the side effect of that was that I I went on sort of this journey and found all these other really great smaller barbecue outlets. And I, I mean, it's rare. Sure, I, I will find barbecue places that I go into, and I'm like, ah, this place is kind of trash, but. 
it's very rare. Usually I go in and I find something that they do really well. Like you said before, where it's like the brisket's not really that good, but the wings here are really fucking great. Um, mm-hmm. And so like I try to keep my judgments. I, I try not to be one of those purists. You know what I mean? Because it, it's it's so difficult. And that's, I guess that's one of the reasons why I love New York. I mean, all these reasons are why. Because New York has always been, and I lived there for a short period of time, New York is kind of a melting pot. It's like the hub. It's where everybody's coming in and everybody's converging. And you have all these different types of individuals slammed into one tiny space. And so with barbecue, New York is really exciting to me because you're getting the influence of all these different cultures in intermixed with the traditions of cooking those meats that way. Do you find that? Absolutely. I've, I think it's one of the, the underrated qualities about New York barbecue is the diversity. So you think about this is that I think if you were to take a traditional, let's say Texas barbecue person and you tell them, oh man, there's like some really great barbecue in New York. They would go, uh, I don't know about that. You know, they would just probably be in disbelief, right? And they'd be right. like, uh, I don't, uh, New York, New York City, you know, like that uh, Pace Picante <laughs> commercial, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like they they don't really want to believe it. I think they just kind of like, uh, they just dismiss. So a lot of people will just dismiss. It's New York barbecue. It doesn't matter, whatever. Um, I think that that perception is changing because mm. the diversity, because of the ideas. And I think if you educate people on the culture, you think about the amount of talent that comes to New York traditionally. During the pandemic, obviously, there's not like a lot of new talent coming here right this second, but obviously after it's over, I do expect things to kind of come back. Yeah. And you know, great restaurants will come back and great culture will come back. But um, you know, I think that New York historically has attracted a ton of talent, especially in food. So that is no different when it comes to making good barbecue because there's every type of cuisine for the most part gets represented in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes good barbecue. Um, so, you know, I think we have a lot of people here who have even spent, let's say, some of their formative years working at barbecue restaurants, other places in the country, and then they've, they're working in New York. And yeah. then they basically have learned from the masters. They've learned from a lot of the best people. So because of that, we have a lot of institutional knowledge and a lot of really um, interesting, innovative ideas that have gone into the barbecue. All right, everybody, I'm going to interject here. I'm recording this much later because we just nailed a brand new sponsor since we've been doing more of the chef's episodes, these barbecue episodes, uh, put it plainly, let's say these food episodes. uh, It's great because I have an opportunity to reach out to a lot of the companies that I love um, to have sponsor these specific episodes. And I'm very excited about this sponsor because I've known these guys for a while. Uh, You probably have seen me uh, direct commercials for them. You've seen me do uh, web ads for them. Uh, I love this company. These guys are great. They support me as an artist. They trust me as an artist, which I really dig. And as we, by the way, as we talk about clients on this show, this is a dream client. These are the type of people that you want to work with. Uh, They provide funding for you to do really fun and exciting activities. 
lets you really sort of run imagination let loose on a lot of the ads that I've done for these guys. Um, so I love them. And of course, since I was doing barbecue episodes, they were the first people that I reached out to um, because I use their stuff every day. Every day I am pulling out one of their knives to prep food, to prep breakfast, um, and their knife collection is fantastic. I can't say enough great things about my good friends over at Dale Strong. So do yourself a favor right now, head on over to dalestrong.com and you will see that they have an amazing selection of cookware, of knives. Uh, I love, 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 love my chef's knives from these guys. And I've got, obviously, I've got a bunch of really cool knives from them because I've done a bunch of work. Um, but I'm telling you right now, the prices cannot be beat. And there are all sorts of different types of knives that are um, forged in all sorts of different types of way. And each knife has a specific purpose, which I love about it. And some of these knives, here's why I really like these guys, is that they have a good sense of humor. They understand <laughs> that dudes that use knives want to hold something that's epic. You know, half of us are sitting at home watching old Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. There's nothing better than holding on to a knife that not only can slice through a tomato, but I could probably throw across the room and cut a guy's head off with. I love that about these guys. Uh, and if you go to their website now, head on over to dalestrong.com. Uh, check out their Quantum One Series. One of my favorite knives. It's, it's a gorgeous knife to photograph, first and foremost, because I love the detail on the handle. I love the etched detail on the blade itself. But the Quantum One Series, eight and a half inch chef's knife. I love that knife, really cool. And if you guys are looking for something different, something like futuristic looking, their Shadow Black series, nine and a half chef's knife is really great. Um, but if you're looking for just a strong blade to consistently use, I love their Shogun series knives. I use those every day, I'm not kidding. And the great thing about these knives is that uh, they come packaged really well. Uh, they come with their own sleeves, so you can really take care of them. And I know, look, there are some people that are listening that are like, I've never owned a knife before. I don't understand how to use a knife. I don't understand. Uh, I don't really don't have the money to spend on a knife. These prices are not bad. Let me just say that, man. These prices are not bad. You can get a killer knife for like 60 bucks. Let me say that again. You can get a killer knife for like 60 bucks on their website. And because we love you so much, if you use a promo code, I-L-W-P Dale Strong. So that's I-L-W-P D-A-L-S-T-R-O-N-G. And the code is good through May 1st of 2021. You will get 15% off. Yes, I said that. 15% off if you use the code I-L-W-P Dale Strong on their website. So go to dalestrong.com and go through it. I'm going to be posting on my Instagram a bunch of the knives that I've used, but You've seen the videos, you've seen the stuff I've done. The knives look gorgeous, they're gorgeous to film. But more importantly, if you get a good sharp knife, it changes the way your meals look, it changes the process of cooking a meal. I, I know people that still use fucking like tiny like uh, steak knives to cut their onions. I've been in people's places and I'm like, what are you doing? You've got this tiny little dull steak knife, you're gonna cut your fucking hand off. And Within itself, that's such a strange statement to say. A dull knife is going to cut you. That's what happens. Have you, you, have you guys ever tried to cut through an onion? 
right? And it's too dull and that skin starts to slip and you nick your fucking finger. That's because your knife's too dull. Get yourself a really sharp, a beautifully crafted knife from Dale Strong. And then these guys have all sorts of really great supportive material for anybody that enjoys knives. I've actually got their sharpening stones, which is really cool. Um, they have all sorts of great sets on here. These guys are going to be sponsoring our food episodes, our chef's episodes. And right now, let me tell you, go through their website, enter that promo code and get yourself a new knife. We sent you that way um, because I use them. I use them, Crudy uses them. Everybody that I know has a knife. All my crew, one of the cool parts about working with these guys is that I get to get the crew free knives. So all of the people that I work with, all of my barbecue boys, they all have Dale Strong knives. I'm telling you, you're gonna want one too. So check them out. Like I said, go to dalestrong.com. So it's that time to show a little love and respect to the men and women that make this show possible. I'm talking about our sponsors. Now, before you guys fast forward to this section, uh, just understand that you'll probably miss some really interesting stuff. And I'm not just talking about advertising, but I'm, I love these people. I love these products. And uh, I oftentimes I'm not reading from a script, so I go off on tangents. So there might be something interesting here. There may not be. I may just be fucking lying to you so that you continue to listen to these ads. You just never know with me. <laughs> anyway, first up, my good pals over at Puget Systems. If you are in the marketplace for a new computer, if you're sitting on all sorts of money these days, if you're like, I've got all this money in my bank account because I'm not going out to eat all the time. Where did all this cash go? You know? And you're like, well, you know what? I've got all this time. Maybe, maybe I should learn how to video edit. Maybe I should uh, follow my passion and become a music producer. And I need a good computer for this. Where do I go, right? First thought is, well, where does everybody go? Uh, who's spending the most money on advertising? Uh, got it. What's the easiest source? Ah, uh, right. So you head on over to a specific product right? You head on over to a specific company. Let's say that they're named after fruit, right? And you go there and you look at the prices and you're like, what the fuck? How are these things so expensive? What am I paying for? And if you know anything about computers and you know anything about hardware, you know how volatile that business is. You know that that brand new uh, CPU on the market is going to be 40% uh, cheaper in the next three months. So I'm going to spend that kind of money on it right now. What am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? And I asked myself all those questions years ago when I was fed up with the system. I was fed up with being a slave to marketing. I was fed up with being a slave to three choices on a website. You're not allowed to choose anything else. You can't put what you want in the system because we can't guarantee that you're not a moron. You're not gonna fuck up that system. So in order to get our stuff to work perfectly every time, we're gonna only give you this many options, which for most people, that's okay. But if you're somebody who's pushing the boundaries of your medium, if you're somebody that is trying really hard to do new stuff, let's say that you're, in the middle of doing a, a music uh, composition and you have how many different filters on each one of your tracks and you're sitting there going, why the fuck is this bogging down? Or if you're a video editor and you're like, I wanna have 15 tracks of 4K video to try to figure out the sequence. And some of you listening may say, that's a little over the top. It's not. 
Because with video editing and with music editing, it's about finding it. It's about finding it in the moment. And if you follow the rules too closely, right, your stuff sounds like everybody else's shit. And so what I'm constantly trying to do is I'm trying to break my rules every time I sit down to do something. And sure, there are some stables that are there, like techniques and tricks and methods that I always fall back on. But I prefer to have the option to completely mix it all up. And oftentimes when you're dealing with uh, hardware and you're dealing with computers, that throws a wrench in the works. And so I found that building a PC gives me more control of that scenario, allows me to customize it, allows me to open it up and swap out a piece of hardware, which will only cost me a few hundred bucks, as opposed to throwing the whole fucking thing out. I'd rather have a system that works for me that follows my rules, that I don't have to play by their rules in order for it to work. That's why I got into PCs. Now, I used to build PCs when I was a kid, when I was a little gaming nerd. And I'd spend that time doing all that research and putting them together myself, wearing the old static bracelets so that you don't fuck them up, right? But I'm older now. I've got a lot of other things on my plate. I don't have time to do all the research. I don't have time to stay up on the current trends with this. I needed to find a company that did. I needed to find a company that I could trust with great customer service and a great quality product. That's how I found Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com and you'll see what it is that I'm talking about. There, you can start to put together a system based upon the software you use. How crazy is that, right? Instead of going to a place going, well, this is the package that we have, and yeah, it kind of runs well with this, and it does exceptional with this one thing. Well, that isn't the one thing that I fucking want. Go to Puget Systems, let them know what it is that you're doing, let them know what it is that you're using, and they will help you build the system of your dreams. I'm telling you, I can't say enough great things about them because everything that I've cut for the past six plus years has been on a Puget Systems PC. It changed my life. I mean, let's just ask the landscaper. Here he comes now. Hey, what computer do you use? Fucking out there, blowing this shit. Anyway, so go to PugetSystems.com and check it out. Uh, also supporting the show all the time is uh, Quasar Science. These guys make LED lights, right? Oh, here he comes. Cameo. I respect that he does it. I love that the yard looks so great. But I cannot, I cannot hold this resentment back. It's like he just waits. And I'm, I'm looking at him right now. He's chasing two leaves down the driveway with that. Two leaves. Could you not shut it off and just pick those two, two leaves up with your hands? And I wouldn't judge. I'm not in the habit of judging how people do their jobs. It's just that you're injecting yourself into my fucking job this morning. Again, have a schedule. Last week it was Thursday. This week it's Monday. What's going on? Is your wife driving you crazy? Do you have to leave the house just to, just to get away from her and you're out there blowing leaves? Is that what's going on? Okay. I think he's far enough away that I can continue the reads. Anyway, Quasar Science, they create amazing LED lights and LED lighting has changed the way films have looked. Film and television 
have looked a lot more intense in color. They've looked a lot more polished. Have you noticed this? Because it's a lot more affordable. LED lighting has made everything more affordable. It has made uh, options unlimited for folks. So you can actually dial in any color of the rainbow. You can dial in balanced tungsten. You can dial in balanced daylight, um, which helps you save on color correction time in post. Uh, I, I, like I love LED lighting. It has changed the way we do a lot of stuff here. Um, and a lot of folks ask me all the time, Mike, what do you have in your kit? LED units are a big part of my kit. It's not the only thing in my kit because I believe strongly that tools all have a purpose. You've heard me say that. Um, but Quasar Science makes the best ones in the marketplace. So if you're looking for new stuff, if you're looking to buy some new lights, maybe you're doing a podcast and you're videotaping your podcast, even though we don't, uh, LED lights is the way to go. They require a very low power. They don't put out a lot of heat, so you're not going to be sweating your ass off. Uh, and they have a very small footprint. So if you have a small apartment in New York City and you don't have much storage space, you can slide those LED tubes under your bed. It's not a big deal. So definitely check them out. Also supporting the show uh, is MovieTees, M-O-V-I-T-E-E-S.com. Uh, you've heard on prior episodes how much I love these guys, how much I love their nerdy t-shirts. Um, so if you are in the market for some new t-shirts, if you want to wear a shirt that's going to get those other nerds in the room looking your way and giving you a wink, go to MovieTees.com and check them out. All right. And as always, please support the show by going to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you'll find all of our episodes curated by subject material. So it's a great place to go if you're like, hey, look, I just want to listen to all your chef's episodes. I just want to listen to all your directing episodes. I have them all set up there. And if you're listening to this episode now, we also have a page for each individual episode that comes out with all sorts of supplemental materials. A one-stop shop for everything you need to know while listening to the show. So when you load it on your phone and you're hanging out and you got nothing else going on, load up in lovewiththeprocess.com and scroll through it. Check it out. Uh, that's it, man. Let's get back into it with Sean. Well, let me ask you this. You are spending as much time as you have sort of making your way through that city, and, and I'm assuming that you've made your way through a lot of the country and trying barbecue in different spots. What is it yes. about what is it that you can get in New York but you find that you find that you can't get anywhere else? I would just say that it's um the spin like on barbecue. So like I I wonder I'm going to guess that maybe you're the joint that you were refer- the, alluding to earlier might be hometown barbecue. Mm-hmm. Uh perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that I, that, that I know right? that yeah of did course. Of course, but I know that that's everybody's <laughs> favorite barbecue place so I can hear the subtle bit of judgment yes. in your voice. <laughs> but yes. No, yeah, no, no. I I just I it, it's it's a uh, it's just an educated guess, right? It's that of you course. know a lot of people have who have been there basically fall in love with it and go, Oh, this is barbecue. And so the thing about them is I even had them recently at, they have a second location now, Mm -hmm. um, at an industry city in Brooklyn. And, um, they always have, 
unique spins on, you know, traditional food. So they have barbecue tacos that are amazing, uh, both corn and flour. Mm -hmm. Um, They have um, uh, Jamaican jerk ribs, which are very inspired by uh, the Jamaican community in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, There are Korean sticky ribs, which are, again, they're, they're kind of inspired by the collection of people that live in this city. You know, we have such interesting, diverse uh, communities in New York. And so you take a lot of ideas, borrow them, incorporate them, try to make something different and interesting. Um, so y- you look at the menus and you'll see other places that also incorporate interesting um, ideas, unique ideas. Um, another thing that comes to mind, obviously, you know, hometown has been written about a lot. Sure. A lot of people understand, you know, you kind of, you want to, you want to get one of the best places in New York, you can go to hometown. Yep. Another thing that I think is really interesting here culturally is kosher barbecue. Oh, yes. So, um, you know, we have uh, a a large, you know, uh, Jewish and um, communities here in New York City, and they, a lot of them, uh, culture, uh, kosher. So the thing is, how do some of these pit masters who are kosher themselves create incredible barbecue um, for their community? So obviously there's no pork, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they also have to follow certain rules uh, to make the food kosher. So it has to be done a certain way, prepared a certain way, um, use you know, certain ingredients, things like that. And there is some of the best um, kosher barbecue that you will eat in New York can be put side by side with hometown, and you might have a hard time telling which is which. That's so cool. Yeah. That's really right. So if you're if you're ever in New York and let's say you know you're uh, you know you're kosher or you're just curious, you definitely should stop by um, Izzy's Barbecue uh, for sure, 100. There's also another place called Main House Barbecue, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, yeah, I mean, basically you know look it up on my on my website, read about <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs> no, but I love the idea of just these cultures sort of sort of seeping together and, and creating something new. And there are so many great aspects of uh, barbecue that I love um, that I f- think work for these other cultures. And I think one of the main things that draws me to barbecue, period, is how the meat is handled, how the meat is broken down, the texture of the meat. Um, and it isn't always just the seasoning. I mean, I... I love, don't get me wrong, I love just like a straight up dry rub rib. I love that. But it's always mm-hmm. that texture that you're working to get. And then you, as you're sitting there eating it, you're like, what would this taste like if this was Korean style at this texture? That'd be fucking fascinating. And then, you know, you read about like uh, pastrami beef ribs and you're like, holy shit, that must be amazing. The, the, like the idea of a pastrami beef rib. So I love breaking out of those borders. And I think that, one of the things the barbecue oftentimes, at least traditional barbecue has going against it is that people are so stuck within the tradition that they kind of get closed-minded about the advancements that you can do with it. But at the end of the day, you're just, you're trying to create something new. You're trying to create a new flavor profile and a new experience for yourself. Why would you cut it off? Why would you just be like, look, I, I need to have, you know, Kansas-style sauce on my shit. You know, I need to have only... Uh, mustard based you know what I mean it's like the the world is your fucking oyster like the meat itself is a delivery system for all sorts of different flavors you know I mean I think that the sort of 
the digital sort of revolution um, generally. So people, let's just say people are consuming a lot more information about things that are outside of their, where they live, right? So Mm -hmm. they're consuming, like following hometown barbecue or following people, you know, barbecue pit masters from other uh, parts of the uh, the country, other parts of the world. And they're learning about all these other things that are out there. And I think that, I think that curiosity has grown. People are like, Oh, this looks really good. Let's try this. Or this looks really good. Like maybe my, one of my, one of my restaurants in my neck of the woods has something like this and I can try it. And, um, I think that people are more open-minded now than they ever have been about food because Mm -hmm. they're exposed so much more frequently to different things. And they're like, Oh, this, have we ever been to a place like this? No, we haven't. Well, we should go. We should go check it out. Yeah. And um, I find that I find that in my so I just kind of a anecdotal my family. So you know my a lot of my family is um, from Kansas City, Missouri, mm-hmm. and a lot of them have only really had you know those heavy hitter traditional um, great Kansas City joints. But as they've as we've gotten older and more interesting, some more interesting places have opened up. They've been able to try some of these different things, and they go, "Oh, this is really good!" Like I had no idea that this could be this could be barbecue. Yeah, and um, I think you know I think it's only going to grow. Barbecue is growing, I think, across the spectrum. That you've got a lot of more people that are uh, making barbecue in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And more and more barbecue restaurants are opening across the country. So if you're a, a city or a, a small town that didn't have a barbecue place, now you may have a barbecue place. You may have that option. Um, and so I think you're going to see more interesting menu items on all of these places because the world's getting smaller. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can I can read about the process of what's happening out in L.A. Bar- L.A. barbecue scene mm-hmm. or um, these kind of far reaches that I would not normally have known about, you know, 10 years ago. But now I can read about it or just look on Instagram and see all these amazing items. Yeah. No, totally. You're right about that, man. And the thing that I love about. Well, I mean, I, I just recently transplanted out here to Los Angeles, which was a you know, being an East Coast kid, because I'm originally from Boston. So being an East Coast kid, I was like, ah, fuck LA. <laughs> for the longest time, I was <laughs> like, those people out there. But then one of the surprising aspects for me was the food out here and how amazing the food out here is and how diverse the food is. And you have like amazing Thai food, amazing Vietnamese food, amazing Korean. And then, uh, you know, I went out and had amazing Korean barbecue before the pandemic happened. And I was just like, fuck, the, the flavors on this and the consistencies on this are fascinating. And I love that excitement. There's something that's so really great about uh, finding that new thing that that you become obsessed with, especially with, with food. Um, and I feel like both, I think New York more so for me, but both New York and Los Angeles have given me that where you mm-hmm. you leave your small town aspect, you leave the traditions of your small town, and you go to this melting pot, and in there you find all this really fucking interesting shit. You know? It's cool stuff. Anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> well, I mean, you're an, you're you're LA based, so uh, what's your favorite barbecue in LA? I haven't had dude, because I moved out here like a couple months before pandemic. So I haven't been able to figure it out yet. So I started to do the search. And then we all got locked down. So, and now, now I'm curious to see what the new version of it. That's the other crazy thing is because of this pandemic, 
this city's going to be a whole new city afterwards because of the closings of restaurants and the shifting of hands and people not being able to deal with this sort of thing. So I'm fascinated to see what the new Los Angeles is going to be after this because um, you just look around. I mean, it's a sad state for for the food industry right now because you look around, you see closures everywhere. You see all these places that just shut down because they can't handle it. Uh, can't handle like not having that income and dealing with the rent and everything else, man. So have you seen that in New York? Is New York surviving this thing, in your opinion? Um, so before I answer about New York, I want to throw out three places that you should probably try in L.A. really quickly. Okay, great. So Bloodsoe's, um, Slab, and Heritage. Those would be the three places that I've... I've I'm sure there's, I'm sure I'm missing places. A hundred percent. No, I'm missing places, but those are three places that immediately came to mind of places you should try. You're in LA. You want to try barbecue. Um, check those places out. Bloodsoe's heritage and, uh, slap. I've heard of heritage. I haven't, I I didn't make it there in time, but I heard of heritage. So I'll try that again. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I think you can still, it's, it's South of LA, but you just go there and just either order ahead or whatever they have to do, but you definitely should check it out. Okay. Um, as for what's happening in New York, I think what you described happening in LA and closures and unfortunately, you know, a lot of small restaurants, a lot of small businesses have closed here. Yeah. Um, there just wasn't, you know, there, all these th- these rules that say you have to close your restaurant down. And then on the back end, there was no financial support to help yeah. them through it. Yeah. It's um, tough. So unfortunately, you know we've just lost a lot of, you know, a lot of good restaurants have closed. And I mean, thankfully a lot of my favorite bar- barbecue joints are still open. They're just takeout and delivery basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, we're going to, we're probably going to lose more in, in the next few months, I would imagine, because we still have a lot of things restricted. Mm-hmm. Indoor dining is currently closed in New York. It's supposed to come back in mid February um, at, at 25% capacity, which means, you know, basically nothing for a, you know, a big restaurant. Right. Um, you know, so you kind of think about this is we will indoor dining and the, the sort of New York that people knew will come back. It's just going to take time. Yeah. You know, it's gotta be safe for people to go eat. And when that does happen, we are going to have, you know, a bustling culture of probably a lot of new restaurants too will emerge because there's going to be this pent up demand and desire for, for you know group experiences right mm-hmm. so Completely. we are gonna yeah, new new restaurants are gonna be you know, opening up in new york and la um the sort of old guard of restaurants um that have kind of redeveloped and um you know changed and innovated to survive the pandemic are also going to be better suited for this new never new version of new york so i I've, i'm very optimistic about it it's just unfortunately just for the next I don't know, six months, it's going to really suck. <laughs> yeah, it's very true, man. And it, yeah, it, I, I agree with you. I am very optimistic about the whole thing. And it's, it's, there's going to be a rebirth of, of culinary experience that, that comes from this. And I think the, the general consumer is going to demand a bit more now because I know a lot of my friends are in this boat where you haven't had been able to have that culinary experience. So everybody's sort of digging into their own skills and teaching themselves how to do shit. I mean, how many fucking people do you know that are doing sourdough bread at this point? You know what I mean? There are these trends <laughs> of, of everybody and their mom. Yeah, making exactly. Bread. Exactly. Which is insane. If you went back a year and a half ago 
and said to have these folks that were caught in the rat race of life that you're going to become obsessed with learning how to fucking barbecue. You're going to become obsessed with learning how to make sourdough bread. They'd look at you cross-eyed and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it's like, it, it's insane the amount of interest that we've had the time to go back and sort of learn the core essentials of cooking and learn the core essentials of, of creating food. And I think restaurants have, at least during this pandemic, through my opinion, I feel like restaurants are getting the brunt of the bad stick because not only are they not allowed to serve you in places, but now you're getting delivery food and now you're getting food that would have been great if you were sitting down and it's ultimately just being steamed in a package as you're waiting for it to get to your house and it takes like 45 minutes to get here. And so then you're just going through the process of going, oh man, should I just make this at home? I could probably do this better if I do this at home. And so I'm curious to see what the expectations and how the food is going to evolve and and maybe like the cuisine will evolve a bit because everybody has spent this time learning and, and creating new, new food. You know what I mean? Well, it, it simply might just be a matter of people, you know, people's tastes will change a little bit, or maybe they're um, a little more snobby about certain types of food. They're like, yeah. oh, well, I've been, I've been perfecting the art of this for a while, so I better, if I'm going out to eat somewhere, I better, I better be, meet at least the, my standards that I did at home. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be a, I don't think it's going to be a dramatic change. Yeah, because restaurants have always been trying to cater to their consumers, their, you know, the people, the regular customers, they've been trying to cater to them, but also just have a really typically a high quality, like high standards. So I feel like restaurants have always, for the most part, tried to deliver on that. Um, but you're right. Some of the tastes will be a little different coming yeah. out of this. Yeah. And, and dude, I just can't wait to, to throw money at experiences. That's really what it comes down to is like, and yeah. what, what I love about barbecue, especially in New York, what I love about that is that oftentimes when I have a barbecue in New York or if I go to a barbecue in New York, the experience is kind of surreal for me. I remember the first time I went to like a, a friend's barbecue when I was living in that city and it was like a rooftop barbecue and it's surrounded by skyscrapers and you're like, what the fuck is going on? There's a grill. And it's just this whole other experience that just seemed incredibly magical because my youth was always like backyard, green grass, trees around you. Hey, let's start the grill and we're going. And it's the same thing with um, uh, food and barbecue in that city is I feel like th since that city is so compact and that real estate is so on top of each other, like you're oftentimes standing in a really strange place having ribs and it adds to the flavor. It adds to the experience of it. Um, and, and that's at this point being someone that has been trapped in his house for a fucking year, that is worth a million bucks for me. <laughs> like I will go spend that money just to have that experience and eat that food and be around people again. I cannot wait for it, you know? You know, the thing, the funny thing about that, as you mentioned, is I've had some of those experiences even during the pandemic. Like I've gotten food ta as takeout and mm -hmm. then gone to the nearby park and sat next to the waterfront you know, with like the sun shining and eating barbecue uh, and just kind of being around people in kind of a safe way. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that that experience, you know, especially in New York is, 
Um, it's commonplace and it's not going anywhere. I mean, right now it is snowing here right now. So it's kind of a, kind of a pseudo blizzard right now. So, um, we're not doing that right now, but once the weather gets a little bit better, we will be back to doing that. Exactly what you're talking about getting, you know, outdoor, uh, gatherings that are a little, you know, more, much more safe, um, getting takeout, going to the park and hanging out with people and eating delicious food. That is always going to be part of New York. Uh, I'm envious of you, man. It's a little bit different out here. I'm envious of you. Out here, everything is really kind of sprawled out, and everybody's, you know, it's not as it's not as like intimate. I feel like New York is an incredibly intimate place, um, and I miss it. I miss that. I would give anything to be sitting there with you having barbecue at a spot like that. It'd be amazing. <laughs> I, I, I. Well, next time you come to New York and uh, the weather's decent, let's like let's make that happen. You know? Hell, hell yeah, dude! I'm totally in. I'm totally in. Um, so I think we're doing pretty good. You, you doing okay on time at this point? Yeah, awesome. I'm good. Awesome, man. Uh, it sounds like uh, my landscapers uh, took an early lunch, which is good. So uh, let me ask you a couple more questions about what it is that you love about barbecue. Like if you were, all right, so you're in a shitty mood, right? And you have that barbecue craving and you go to a spot. What are you generally... What are you hankering for? What is the what is the thing that pulled you out of bed and brings you to a barbecue place? Um, I would say that it's it's probably a few. It's probably like twofold. It's one is you know I'm always looking for just really thoughtful, uh, delicious food. And the thing is, we talked about this the 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 amount of time and effort that goes into barbecue to make it amazing is a lot of time. And I yeah. appreciate that effort and the, uh, the, you know, the, the flavor profiles, um, you know, I'm, I'm always going and I'm looking for you know, a lot of times beef, I'm looking for brisket or a beef rib. Oh. Um, but, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I can, I can kill, um, you know, some pork ribs some pork spare ribs any day. Um, but <laughs> I, I would say the number one thing would be beef. Yeah. So I'm looking for that, that melts in your mouth brisket. Or um, that beef rib that you could just sit there for an hour and just slowly work your way through it. But I don't know how many of those like gigantic beef ribs you've had, but it's one of my favorite barbecue items. And it's it's almost like um, it's almost like a challenge, you know, like a like a food challenge. You're like, oh, I'm ordering a a one pound or or more beef rib, and I'm going to sit there. I'm going to eat this whole damn thing, you know. <laughs> well, and. Let I me love just, that. Let I me just that. let me just say that I am incredibly happy to hear you say that because I will actually go on the record and say I think I like beef ribs more than I like brisket. And ooh, okay, yeah, I, here I, we would, go. I would call it a toss up, but I would say it depends on the place. Yeah, for sure, you know? for sure. Because when we, when the pandemic started out here and everything was like super locked down, um, I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna fucking barbecue, and so. <laughs> to my health's detriment for the first few weeks i was just barbecuing like a mother and i had never done um uh big beef ribs so i went and i hunted i found this butcher that had huge like brontosaurus size like slate ribs and i went through the process of doing it on the smoker and i thought it was going to be incredibly difficult i thought the process of it was going to be very much like uh, a brisket you know but it it was the Dare I say it was probably the easiest smoke that I've ever done. And the results of that smoke were just so decadent uh, that obviously I ate way too fucking much. But it changed my opinion on on the, the brisket argument where I, I just went and I was like, man, there's something so sexy about this. 
like the 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 this slab of meat that when you get it raw it doesn't even look like a slab of meat it, it's like this is just a bone and cartilage like what the fuck is this and then you put it on that grill and all you have to do is just season the damn thing there's a bunch of different techniques that you can do with it but if you just want to be a purist you just season it and you throw it on you smoke it and it shrivels and it becomes this succulent oh just talking about it makes me want to do it today it becomes this succulent mass of meat and like like you said it's a it's a challenge to get through it because it is so rich you know mm-hmm. oh man you're making me want barbecue well, you're <laughs> you're not the first person to throw this idea at me that i would much rather spend my time trying to make a beef rib than a brisket because i feel like i can i can spend so much less time working on a beef rib and have incredible results and this rich beef, which the flavor profile is, has some, some similarities to brisket, but it's almost richer and fattier. And, um, it's almost, sometimes it's almost overwhelming. You're like, you're like, you're like, um, in maybe like three quarters of the way through. And it just suddenly that, that richness just keeps hitting you. And you're just like, Oh my God, I'm like over, almost overwhelmed and like starting to sweat a little, (laughs) get a little bit of meat sweats, you know? And you're just like, oh my God, just, it's so good. Um, but yeah, I love that experience. And yes, you're hundred percent right. You don't have to spend as much time on beef ribs. And if, if anyone who out there who does do any kind of smoking and hasn't done beef ribs, they should absolutely Completely. try it because I think it's going to be Completely. very it's a, it's a game changer. Like I spent years obviously doing, you know, you get started and you're like, okay, so I'm going to do spare ribs and I'm going to do baby back ribs and you're, you're you're really sort of mastering that and then i spent a long time working on wings and doing wings the way i love wings and smoke wings and if you do a really good smoke wing um there's nothing like it it like blows like buffalo wings out of the water it blows anything out of the water you just like fuck the amount of smoke that you get on this and then you take those like little rubbery wings and you throw them on the grill for a second and suddenly they transform into crispy little smoky wings and you do a little dry rub on them and a little bit of honey on them and you're good to go and it's just like fuck like I got so obsessed well, with those. Don't from. don't dismiss don't dismiss um, buffalo wings because you could smoke wings and put some really good buffalo sauce on it and you have basically smoked buffalo wings. It's very so true. So don't completely dismiss <laughs> it, right? It's um, very true. You know, because you could uh, really no, I I'm hundred percent with smoked wings are so much better than fried than fried wings. Like oh. I've also I've also had smoked then fried wings. Like I've had you know different options there, but I'll tell you, yes, yeah, smoked wings are transformative. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, the think about it, the majority of bars and restaurants that serve wings are just throwing them those suckers in the fryer. I know. You know? I know. And they're not they're not getting any smoke and extra flavor. But you go to a barbecue place with smoked wings. Like for example, one of my favorite smoked wings that I ever had was from Rodney Scott's barbecue in Charleston. Okay. And just everything that he had was good, but those wings stuck with me. I didn't, I must've got them right when they came out and they just, I took a bite and I was like, Oh my God, these wings are some of the best wings I've ever had. How did he do? How did he do them? Do you you know how he did it? I genuinely don't know if how different his process is, but I know that, you know, basically it's, it's a very, you know, timed thing. He knows exactly how long these are supposed to be in for. They come out, they might sit for a second before they're going to, you know, go with somebody. Cause I think their wings are a popular item, but basically just whatever process he had gotten down, he had 
I don't know, basically made perfect smoked wings. Um, so, you know, and he's, he's best known for whole hog. He's Rodney Scott is best known for the painstaking labor of whole hog barbecue and yeah. his whole hog is excellent. Um, but make sure you get both the whole hog and the wings. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that chicken gets sort of a bad rap. You know what I mean? Because I think chicken's sort of the safe meal. Chicken's the meal that your doctor's telling you to have instead of have all the, instead of having pork and, and beef. But I love how chicken retains smoke, and I love how smoke really transforms the flavor of chicken. And it's one of the most rewarding things to do on a smoker, especially if you're just starting out, because you don't need to smoke chicken wings for that long. You know, you're putting them on there maybe for an hour and a half, maybe two hours. You don't have to go a long period of time to get that beautiful flavor. And it's not, if you do it right, it's not like an accurate, it's not like a, my house was on fire and there were chicken wings in the kitchen and I ate them afterwards kind of thing. It's, it's this beautiful, subtle texture that I don't know how it does it, but it works so well with the natural flavor of chicken. Um, and I feel like chicken gets a bad rap when it comes to barbecue. Absolutely. I mean, I think if actually if you do any kind of chicken and you do some smoking and if you finish it with like a flash fry, like just at the very end of it, yeah. there is so much flavor there that you, know, you can basically – uh, like let's just say like a, a pan roasted chicken versus a smoked and fried chicken. The smoked and fried chicken is always going to win. It's going to have so much more flavor. It's so much more interesting to, to, to dig into. Um, you know, another thing that's also probably underrated is Turkey and actually mm -hmm. Turkey mm -hmm. is really hard. Yeah. Um, so kind of similar to where, you know, chicken is probably an underrated item at a barbecue place. The turkey is sometimes an underrated barbecue uh, barbecue item because if they are spending the 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 time and the effort on the turkey, you yeah. can make it a transformative item as well. And it's also probably one of the healthiest items you can get at a barbecue place is the smoked turkey. Now, you know, some people may not really care. I'm in a barbecue place. I'm gonna I'm gonna just go you know balls to the wall. <laughs> but you are eating, you know, uh, you know, you want to have more of a balanced meal, get that smoked turkey, at least try it because a lot of barbecue places are making really good smoked turkey. Yeah. Oh man. I love it. And the, the thing that, uh, most folks, uh, that are listening that, that don't do this, it isn't, it isn't just about how you cook it. It's not just about the, the, the smoke. It's not about the temperature. Those things are incredibly important, but it's also about the preparation for this food. And whether or not you're brining it, whether or not how you're seasoning this thing, there's there's a whole love step process involved. And there are a bunch of different ways to do it, which will drastically change the way that that meal comes out. On the same fire, you can have two different types of the same meat, but prep two different types of way, tossed on the same fire, tossed in the same smoke box. And you're going to get drastically different flavor profiles from them that's what that's what i love that it just seems it's such an open uh playground like an open culinary playground for for playing with food and testing food and testing flavors i just absolutely love it man anyway <laughs> <laughs> so, well no i'm 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 with you man i i i there's there's just so much creativity and fun things you can do with it um you know what i think is is interesting here is 
I don't know like how many places you've been. So I've been, I've been all over the country yep. um, at a lot, you know, a lot of different barbecue, a lot of different barbecue joints, a lot of different kinds of places with different styles. I'm kind of curious about yourself. If you've had the opportunity to travel around and try different styles across, you know, different, you know, parts of the country and different kinds of barbecue. I have, I've, I've been lucky enough to have barbecue in uh, Texas. I've had barbecue in uh, Carolina. I've had barbecue um, in Atlanta, I've had barbecue, um, obviously in New York. So I, I've gone around and, and been able to do it. And then because of my career, I oftentimes am shipped around to go work for stuff, whether it's like music videos and I'm shipped to go work with an artist or whatever. And so what I tend to do uh, is go to a spot and then give myself like two or three days after that spot to just essentially go on a food safari or a bar safari through that city and just try to understand what people are eating in that that area in that region and then I'll, honestly dude there was a period of time where i was looking for for the differences in our country because at surface value when you drive through our country it's like you're on a highway you get off an off ramp and you're like there's a starbucks there's another fucking chain there's this fucking chain and so there was a period of time where i was feeling very claustrophobic with our country because I felt like the chains were sort of taking over everything. And everywhere you went, you can always get a fucking cheeseburger that was the same cheeseburger that you got in New York City or because of fucking McDonald's or because of TGI Fridays or some other bullshit chain. And one of the things I loved about barbecue is barbecue still felt like a homegrown, home-owned business. And, you know, when the chains tried to do it, they always fucked it up because it's not cost effective for TGI Fridays to have a guy coming in at 3 a.m. Uh, and smoking out the ribs the perfect way. You know what I mean? And then there there isn't enough there isn't enough stock to go out to the kind of turnover that TGI Fridays does. So there's their their ribs always taste like shit. <laughs> and so I loved that about barbecue, and that was one of the things as I hunted through. Uh, the states that I've been to in this country that I gravitated towards because I'm like, okay, so this is a dude that, you know, literally figured this out in his backyard and, and somehow he opened up a food truck that is all fucking barbecue and he saved up all his money to do this and I'm still getting the core essentials of what he learned in his backyard and he hasn't got to that point where he's like, I'm going to fucking franchise this shit. You know what I mean? Exactly. And uh you know, the thing is, I think you're you're describing like that a lot of barbecue restaurants are still owned by one or two people. They're not owned by, you know, some giant corporate conglomerate, whatever. They're actually owned by genuinely, you know, good people on the ground. And a lot of times it's like the core pitmaster who is yeah. either a co-owner or the sole owner of the joint. And um, that almost brings like so much more urgency to make the food amazing. Because they're like, oh, no, like I'm bringing all of my this, this restaurant is me. This restaurant is my personal experiences and all of my, you know, um, recipes. It's like this restaurant is me. So that's where you, you see the, the differences. That's where you see the, the passion. Um, and I just 
I love, I love that. And that's something we, we, we were asking about kind of like what I look for, what, what excites me to go to a restaurant like this. I said one was like, you know, the, that core beef product, like the brisket and the beef ribs. The other thing is the people and learning about the stories of the people who own the restaurant and the pit masters and the people who have spent the time making the food. Like, where did you come from? You know, what, how did you end up doing this? You know, and everybody's story is different. So I've heard every variation of the of the barbecue story, um, whether it was like, oh, I just did competitions on the weekend. Oh, I worked at a catering company and then I got interested in barbecue. So I started expanding it and now I want to open a restaurant. Um, yeah. So, you know, I love I love those stories. And that's another thing where I, you know, that keeps me coming back to barbecue. It's not just the food, but the people. I agree with you, man. I agree with you. Like, this has been a really, really great conversation. And if anything, it's, it's, you know, it's a selfish conversation because I just, I feel myself falling back in love with barbecue again. <laughs> and it's only been a few months. <laughs> so I like, I really, uh, man, I'm so happy that we did, we, we had this conversation. And if I do make it to New York, we got to hang out. Cause I, would love to experience barbecue with you. I think it'd be a lot of fun too. I absolutely would love to. And I, I think I need to make sure, like, I know we mentioned that I, you know, bit, I've been writing and, and photographing barbecue in New York, but I also do it nationally as well. So I have, you know, a New York focused newsletter, but I also have a national barbecue newsletter called The Smoke Sheet. And I want to make right. sure that people are aware that, you know, my focus is not just on what's happening in New York. My focus is on what's happening in the country as a whole and trying to keep a really close eye on what's happening with trends and with restaurants and keeping an eye on, you know, if I travel to which city, what's going to be the best place to go to. So that's yeah. just, I just want to make sure that's kind of clear that, you know, you know, I'm not just regionally focused, I'm nationally focused. Well, I've signed up for the smoke sheet already, so I cannot wait to follow the stuff, dude. I cannot wait to follow the stuff that you're talking about. And anybody listening, you definitely got to follow all his stuff. Go follow him on Instagram. I will have all the links below this episode. So if you guys want to get even nerdier, if you want to just get a piece of the love that we both have for barbecue, uh, this is a great place to go. So um, look, Sean, I appreciate you being on the episode. I think we're hitting our point. Uh, where I'm just sort of gushing over barbecue and not really asking any honest questions anymore. <laughs> you're ready. You're ready. You're ready to just go outside and start making something, pretty much, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um, but look, man, thanks for taking the time this morning, and uh, I appreciate uh, you uh, giving us some insight. And this is the part of the episode where I usually ask the guests to give a little advice to folks. So I would say, with your experience, if uh, if someone's listening to this show and they're and they live in a cave and they don't know they don't know about the advancements of, that are happening with barbecue and they don't know where to start like where would you suggest where would you suggest folks go to get a decent barbecue like how do I how do I phrase this where would you suggest people go to get started with barbecue you know what I mean well, outside of subscribing to the smoke sheet would probably be the, the first thing. But yeah. if, if we're not talking about simply subscribing to, you know, the, the sort of barbecue newsletter experience, I think you actually should follow a lot of um, pitmasters on social media. I know that um, some of them are probably like, you know, 
kind of self-promotional in a way. But a thing is like following the process of making the food and understanding it a little bit better. I think we'll, you will come to appreciate the barbecue and understand the process. So I think if you, you know, you're on any of the social media platforms, you know, start following, you know, barbecue pit masters and even local people. So let's say that you're in LA, you know, Mm -hmm. start following, um, I think it's uh, the guys at Heritage. Start following Bledsoe. Start following um, the the guys in your your neighborhood, the guys and gals in your hood, and start seeing and understanding what they're doing. Um, as you come to learn about a little bit more about the process, and also that you know the the food photos are probably going to knock your socks off anyway. So even <laughs> if it's not just educational, it's just like just admiring the food. But learning a little bit more about the process and the time that goes into it, I think you come around to being more appreciative of it. And yeah. when you go into a restaurant and you go in and you order, you're going to be more thoughtful about what kind of barbecue goes into it. I mean, I think this is what you talked about, that sort of grilling culture and burgers and dogs. It's like it's like going from understanding that, and that is so basic and under, you know, like quintessential American, whatever, then going and understanding like what it takes to, to have an offset smoker and to spend so many hours in front of it, uh, changing the temperatures and managing it, um, making briskets, making beef ribs, making pork ribs, doing your variations, making barbecue sauces, you know, all of these things, you know, go into barbecue. And the more that you kind of take under an understanding of it, I think you're going to go into the restaurant or into your backyard experience and you're going to be so much more interested in the process and understanding and probably enjoying it all right that's today's episode i hope you guys have uh, a bit more curiosity into the origins of barbecue. And look, I know we're not doing anything cutting edge with this. You can tune into Netflix and see a hundred different programs on barbecue. It's becoming an obsession with this country. Um, And as it becomes an obsession, as it becomes such a big force in media, I just get concerned that it starts to change how these chefs are doing this. And, And there's that whole risk of the celebrity that comes with being a television chef, you know? And then what was that show on Netflix that I w- was really kind of disappointed with? Oh, it was like the, the fucking barbecue cook-off where two people or multiple people face off against each other and they fucking try to make the best barbecue. And you're like, man, that that is the antithesis of what barbecue is. Barbecue is a slow process. It's an inclusive process. You stand next to the smoker, you stand next to the grill with a can of beer and you hang out for up to sometimes 15 fucking hours to make this stuff. It's not supposed to be fueled by anxiety. It's supposed to be fueled by comfort, by relaxation, by attention to detail. That's the core elements of barbecue. And so what we're trying to do with today's episode is just give you a little bit more insight into why I love it so much. Uh, I'm going to be doing more episodes about barbecue. I'm going to be doing more episodes with cooks and chefs because I feel like there's a huge parallel between cooking and making films. There's a big parallel between entertaining folks with either food, music, comic books, writing, whatever it is. We're all creating an emotional journey. And what I love about food 
is it oftentimes takes a hell of a lot less time to do and the rewards are trifold because who doesn't love a good meal, right? Who doesn't love it when somebody, it could be a fucking stranger that puts a plate in front of your face and you look down at this thing and you smell it and your mouth starts to salivate and your stomach starts to rumble and all you can do is look up at that person that handed you that plate with nothing but love. Even if you don't speak that language. How cool is that? That is like the one medium that does that. So, hope you guys dig it. Thanks for listening. Got a bunch of great episodes on the way. And as always, me and my landscaping pal will see you next Tuesday. Before I let you guys go, I wanted to leave you with a new segment. It's kind of a a rehash, like a rebranding of an old segment, (laughs) believe it or not. Uh, And it's uh, it's called "Have You Seen Anything Lately?" with my good pal Alex Johnson. Alex, what's up, man? How are you, dude? Uh, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm all right. How are my levels? My levels good? You're looking good. I figured I would finally answer one of your calls instead of letting them all go to voicemail on the show. So that's that's a lie. I don't call. I don't call Mike. <laughs> I don't call Mike. And I don't call his dumb girlfriend Gina. Yeah, woof, woof. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, Gina. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. What's going on, man? What's happening? Um, nothing. I just um, have been watching uh, some some movies, some new movies, and some old movies. But uh, I wanted to um, wanted to see what you thought. Because you know you have you have opinions on movies, right? You got a podcast. <laughs> um, have you? Well, have you? Have you seen anything good lately? What have you seen? Uh, no, because um, and this this is gonna kind of <clears throat> this might be a betrayal here. I'm gonna show the sausages made. You told me I had to watch something on Netflix, and <laughs> it all looked like shit this week. So I watched Outside the Wire, Ooh. Which, which is the hot new. Uh, boilerplate action movie, mm-hmm. action sci-fi, mm-hmm. the movie of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it was, I thought it was real dumb. <laughs> I, well, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't just think it was real dumb. It was way too long. It was like, it was like over two hours. Um, 
Now, I'm wondering if, if you actually saw it yourself. Did you see this movie? Uh, yeah, full transparency. I, I sat down to watch it twice because I fell asleep the first time, which I was like, okay, maybe I'm just tired. No, it wasn't It wasn't that you were just tired. Um, <laughs> it was a really shitty movie. <laughs> I Like, it, it was almost... <clears throat> I, I mean, I didn't hate it. I, I'll watch anything. I don't care. Um, and... Honestly, if it wasn't so long, I, I don't think I'd be mad about it. But um, like they could have, I think they could have cut the whole third act because it was too long and it just totally jumped the theme. Like the, the, they started out like the first two acts. It's like, oh, okay. So I guess I should give the um, the premise. Also, you is, should probably give a spoiler. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It, there's gonna be spoilers, but yeah. it's. I don't think it counts. You can't spoil a, like a movie that it's it, like don't watch it. That's already that's already spoiled. You can't spoil a movie that's already spoiled. Is what you're saying? Yeah, it's already spoiled with a T. <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, I would say just right off the bat, um, don't watch it. But if for some reason you you don't believe me and you're gonna go watch it, then don't listen to what I say about it because then you'll know. The parts that I remember, you'll you'll then know those parts too, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> okay. Okay. So the idea is, there's this dude. He's like, um, he's one of those guys that uses like a PlayStation controller to like drop real bombs on people from a trailer in Nevada. <laughs> if you're not familiar with drone strikes, that's how that works. Yeah. Um, and so like these dudes get like a kind of a bad reputation i feel like it's like with snipers they used to kind of look down on snipers in the military i read um, i was never in the military <laughs> no I read way. This because like they're like they're not really in in the thick of it i guess they're not usually in danger and because they just like it's it's like more like murdering people <laughs> i guess a little bit because <laughs> like it's like dudes are like drinking coffee or taking a shit and then you just blow their brains out from like two miles away yeah after like learning what they're like for a month or something. <laughs> so like they get this like icy, you know, reputation, but at least they're like on the ground and they're over there. These dudes like in the trailers, I guess the, the theme in the movie that I'm getting is they don't really have a lot of respect for those dudes because, you know, these guys are eating shit on the ground while these other guys get to go home and see their girlfriends and stuff and never leave the country. <laughs> so it starts from there. He's this dude. He fucks up. He gets sent over to like, Eastern Europe, there's like some kind of thing going on with Ukraine and Russia. Can you, can you believe it? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but it's like a little. It's like I guess it's in the future. They don't say it is, but there's they got like robot soldiers. Anyway, he gets paired up with this other dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know the actors' names. I didn't. It's Anthony. It's Anthony Mackie. <laughs> Anthony Mackie is Falcon from fucking from, from Adventures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Anthony yeah. Mackin. I, 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 I'm not going to remember the other kid's name because he's a newcomer for me. I'd never seen him before. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, that's cool. <laughs> they got names. They're real people in real life. I'm sure they're nice. Um, but uh, <laughs> but in the movie, the the dude, like the badass special ops dude that he he's like, he flies over to Europe and then he's like, he's got to be this dude's sidekick. Yeah. And the, But the dude is like a robot dude. Like you like and and he like reveals it like five minutes before they're about to like hit the road and go do their mission. <laughs> just like he just like destroys whatever trust the guy has because uh, <laughs> he like takes his shirt off and he's like clear. 
hold on, like, hold on, hold on. I just yeah. imagine, I'm imagining you as the filmmaker for this movie pitching it to a studio this morning. <laughs> and the studio's sitting there and you're just like, and then the dude's like a robot dude. <laughs> it's funny because I'm supposed to be a writer. <laughs> But I write. I don't talk. Like, I usually have more time to put my thoughts together. <laughs> so I talk. Like, I write. I swear to God, everybody, if you're listening, I, I write real good, but I talk. <laughs> like, real dumb. Like, I talk like a dummy, like a dumb idiot. Yeah. I'm but, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> this is the best I can do, all right? Uh, and then he's like, I'm giving you, like, 60 seconds to fucking deal with it. Like, to, to deal with the fact that I'm a transparent robot underneath my muscle shirt. <laughs> uh, but then, okay, so, like, then the movie gets, it almost gets interesting and, in like, kind of like a, like a college creative writing class sort of way where, like, it's ironic because the human guy, the one who flies these, like, predator drones, um, he's, like, kind of cold and distant. He doesn't seem to give a shit that he kills people. But the robot man is, like, He's programmed to be like super empathetic and he's like starting to teach the real dude <laughs> about like what it means to be human. <laughs> and so like for the first two acts, it's like, that's what's going on. But, um, yeah, it's like a really bad buddy cop movie at that point. Reversed. Kind right. Of. And it's like role reversal and it's like, whoa, what does AI have to teach us about being human? And it's just like a weird question because nothing yet. Like right now it just beats us at chess or like, <laughs> like it's not, it's not really a relevant question, I think. Like, <laughs> just tell me what song I should listen to next. On this piece yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. So now this is like the real spoiler. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is going to like fuck the movie up as, as if the robot was, wasn't a spoiler but yeah okay what's the real one well, i mean the, ro the robot part is like uh it's it's practically like right after the prologue it's like this is the i mean you can read about that in the synopsis on netflix okay okay, okay. um what you don't let <laughs> what i find out after like two hours <laughs> is that they, they threw out all that shit and now the robot wants to nuke the united states <laughs> for it's like he's his empathy is so strong that like the only way to stop like the ukraine from getting bombed is to kill everybody in the usa to like teach people a lesson about not killing um so he just goes straight to being like the bad guy evil robot um that wants the, and it's like suddenly there's like a nuclear football and and the stakes become oh shit if they don't stop them then the whole usa gets destroyed how did they and, uh, what was the reveal for this was it in a locker room and they're just getting undressed and he's like i'm just gonna nuke everything and then he takes his pants off and reveals that he has like skynet underpants on or something <laughs> there's like a there's like um there's like a, a building like an apartment building or like an embassy siege that wishes it was like the apartment block siege from children of men uh-huh uh but it was not um and and it served as like like oh this was, that's like the heist that's like the whole, the the robot had planned out the whole thing and was using the human guy um, to like override like his built-in protections like he, so basically the whole thing is like if he has a human with him then he's allowed to take like um, actions that normally would be inhibited by his AI programming 
um, uh. because you know shit on the ground gets weird, like the plan falls apart, and you need to think outside the box. <laughs> right. And so his AI allows him to do that as long as there's like a human, like American soldier with him. So the whole thing was just him using this dude who didn't even know how to like fight like in ground combat to just be like, um, if you watch Rick and Morty, it's kind of like how Rick keeps Morty around so people can't find him because of his, his dumb brainwaves. It's like that. It's like he needed like a dumb human that he could manipulate um, and make it so the robot could do whatever it wanted, right. uh, which is also very convoluted. It was just a lot, you know. It was a lot of. Um, <laughs> is that the is that the summary? It was just a lot. <laughs> it was like well, it was a real long walk, um, and like they just dumped the theme. Like it, like I, it. Almost, my brain almost started to have thoughts in like, in like the first and second act about like, oh yeah, humans can be like some dudes don't have a lot of feelings, <laughs> which like I already knew because I'm a dude. <laughs> But I was like, all right, whatever. Someone just figured that out and they put it in a script. Um, and that's cool. It's, at least it's like a thesis. Um, but then it was like, I, I don't know. Is the thesis now, like in the third act, is it that like, oh, um, if you have too much empathy, you want to kill everybody. And I don't know if that tracks. It might. I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. But it just, <laughs> I just thought it just seemed like there was like two different movies or you know, like it just, it got bored of itself. <laughs> but then the solution to getting bored of itself wasn't to wrap it up. It was to be like, all right, let's switch gears and run for another like 80 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know what here, I'll say good things too, though. Like, I mean, the robots were neat. Um, some of the action was cool. Um, I didn't have to go anywhere cause it was, you know, I just streamed it at home. <laughs> So that's cool. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great, it's the great, it's a great thing for the industry. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Didn't have to go anywhere. Distribute at home. Yeah. Uh, big deal. Yeah. I don't know if you're being sarcastic, uh, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. Like, uh, what are the who are the directors that like really are not happy about? Oh, uh, like home streaming. Uh, fucking well. Besides, um, what's his name? Uh, Christopher Nolan, but also Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. Denis is pissed about it because of uh, Dune. I mean, dude, any of the directors that had a deal with Warner Brothers for fucking theatrical distribution that just had that deal basically shoved up their ass, those guys are pissed yeah. off. And I, I get it. I get why those guys yeah. are pissed off, you know? So, yeah. Well, I know how much, you know, I know when we went and saw Fury Road, how big, like, we got to get into the right theater with the THX around and, like, the, the sound <laughs> is really important and you're, like, a big sound design guy. Yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, you can't... <laughs> Sound always sucks at home, because <laughs> unless you're like a unless you're like a rich dude or like it's your job to like <laughs> score movies. Well, dude, my favorite because I'm always like uh, maybe I should get a surround sound system, but your rooms aren't rigged out for that. So I was at my friend's house oh. the other day that has a surround sound system, and all it was was the rear right channel on the <laughs> on the back end of the couch just blasting into my face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my last TV. Um, it was like some kind of Sony, you know, flat screen thing. It had the speakers were on the back and shot out backwards. (laughs) (laughs) 
was like, what? <laughs> like, the bathroom was behind that wall in my old apartment, and it was you could hear the TV so much better from the bathroom. Because it just, I was like, why would it, I'm not, does it think I'm sitting behind the TV? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, it's a big part of that that is true. And I, I was watching, getting off on a fucking tangent here, I was watching a, a doc on uh, the origins of our current sound design and how the sound design got to where, yeah. it, where it is. And it really was like Coppola, Lucas, all those dudes, uh, Ben Burt, all those guys that it really changed the, the system for it. And statistically, the big person that made sound in movies go from, I'm going to fuck this up, but the big person that made sound go from mono to stereo um, was Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand really? directed, she didn't direct, but she starred in, or maybe she directed it. She starred in uh, the original A Star is Born. So instead of Lady Gaga looking at Chris, whatever, fucking, it was it was Barbara Streisand looking at uh, Chris Christopherson, right? So that mm. was the original and she was like coming from the musician's world, coming from vinyls at that point, uh, figuring out how to do things in stereo, figuring out how to do things in 5.1. Where are you? Are you at your fucking office? <laughs> You're not paying me to do this. <laughs> do you have a landline? <laughs> it's not mine. I just unplugged it, all right? <laughs> Let me take the batteries out. All right, well, okay. Okay, you stop talking for a second. Remember a minute ago when I wasn't sure if you were a sound nerd? Yes. I was like, oh, you're a sound nerd, right? <laughs> I think everybody knows you're a fucking sound nerd. All right, we got it. <laughs> Tell me more about Barbara Streisand. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I get nerdy about this shit. My bad. <laughs> no, I guess that's what the nerds listen to your podcast. I mean, I don't listen to it, but... <laughs> All right, um, so what you're saying is that uh, I should try to keep myself awake and uh, finish the rest of that movie, Outside the Wire. No, that's not at all. <laughs> Did you... Do you listen to your guests when they talk to you? <laughs> Take the fucking prosciutto out of your ears, dude. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I appreciate... I'm, I'm so happy I answered your call today. <laughs> I appreciate Yeah. I appreciate yeah, you're uh, welcome. I appreciate your input on a movie that I was already feeling uh, second guessing. So um, thank you for watching the whole thing. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think you should go watch it. Go watch go watch the whole movie. I feel like I, I feel like that's not for good reason. Uh, you deserve it. You deserve it, Mike. All right. Well, fuck you, Alex. Thanks for being on the show, as always, dude. <laughs> no problem, buddy. I love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>